Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS on air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much and welcome to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron along with our co-host, Carol Zernio. Carol, a nationally known gerontologist, member of the board of the National Council on Aging, serves as the executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, and we spend time every week talking about issues and uh, all kinds of stuff that affect seniors and their families and caregiving. And we're going to talk in just a couple of moments with an elder law specialist, Judy Cornish, who has begun a program that focuses on what she calls the Dawn Method of Caring for Folks with Alzheimer's and Other Forms of Dementia. And we'll talk about that in just a couple of minutes. Hey there. Hello. You know, I'm, we're looking forward to Judy. Um, you know, there's, there's techniques to working with people with dementia. And if you're a caregiver and your loved one has any kind of Alzheimer's or Parkinson's dementia, any kind of dementia, it, it's always good to have another technique in your tool bag. Speaking of tool bags, folks have always wondered about if we just let babies feed themselves, how will it work out? Just give them the food. Give them what they want. Yeah, and this has nothing to do with caregiving nothing. or older well, people. Well, except to care for babies. Well, some of us, yes, are, are, get to take care of maybe the grandchildren or, or maybe the, the children if you've got a baby. But <laughs> you sent me this article from the New York Times, and maybe not everyone it's saw fascinating. It. Well, it is fascinating because we've all seen the baby, you know, put the fist in the mouth and think, oh, this is something that's delicious and just vomits, you know, all day long. Um, until they realize that, you know, they're still hungry and in trouble. Um, but this article was saying, you know, when we think of, if you gave babies, and we're not talking about newborns, um, but babies food that they could feed themselves, and, and there's, there is food they could pop in their mouth without choking that's not dangerous, would they self-select to not eat too much? So really the study is do people, even babies, left to their own devices, Will they, you know, just eat the right amount of food and without becoming overweight? Um, and if you have a pet and you've left all of the pet food out, your dog or your cat, Ron, have you ever tried this where you've left extra food out and did the dog eat just the right amount of food? No. No, and my They'll cat, eat what's ever there. there. Yeah, and my cats do the same thing. So guess what happened to the babies? Guess what the answer is to this riddle of will the baby eat too much if they're given all the food that they want and just eat? The answer is they'll keep on eating. They'll keep on eating. Exactly right. But I love that someone did this study. So for all of you... And no babies were harmed in no the study. Ba no babies were harmed. No babies choked. But the study supports the idea that left to their own devices and supplied with more than enough food, babies will overeat. So do not look to the babies for any answers about fighting obesity. That case is closed. Now let's shift to caregivers, because you've got some information on caregivers in retirement. Well, we have recently started at the WellMed Charitable Foundation doing some work around economic security. And what I've come to realize in the last few months in looking at retirement savings and retirement security is how very different retirement is than the retirement of our parents and our grandparents. Um, and it mostly has to do with the way retirement plans are changed. You know, you probably can think of a relative, a, a dad or an uncle, who worked for the same company their whole life. They had a pension. 
they got, you know, worked there all those years, retired, had a pension, and they had their Social Security plus their pension. And health care. And their health, yes, and health care. Um, but now we have to contribute. You know, somewhere in the 70s and 80s, we shifted retirement to where now we have 401ks. It's up to us to put the money away. And do you know how much is the average 401k savings? Not enough. $15,000. Wow. So let's think about, you know, if uh, Social Security pays $700, make $500, $700, a $1,000 a month, what they're finding out is that the average woman in her 80s is paying about $8,400 a year in out-of-pocket medical costs. And so what's happening is people are, are not able to retire. They're having to take those odd jobs. They're having to continue working. Um, even if they, they don't want to or their health doesn't really, you know, lend itself to doing work uh, because they simply do not have the retirement savings. Uh, and a friend of mine, Kevin Prendeville, who works for Justice and Aging and looks at senior poverty, has said that, you know, when you look at the older demographic, other people's poverty fell recently, like 2015, 2016, the economy got better and poverty went down for kids and for people under the age of 64 it went up almost 15% for older people. Went up. It went up. More poverty in older people. So everybody else was doing better, but older people were not. Uh, and we've talked many times about caregivers who quit their jobs, who take breaks in their jobs, who don't have the opportunities to save, um, and they're the ones that are most likely going to be hit when they get to retirement age. They've lost out on a lot of the Social Security they could be drawing. That's right. And their Social Security is on average about $4,500 less than a man um, is making. And if you're married, you're only getting half of a, of a Social Security if you contributed into it. And so homelessness among the elderly is on the increase. Poverty is on the increase. And women who have been caregivers are probably most at risk. The other thing that is on the increase, you talk to folks at the uh, Family Violence Prevention Services, uh, Marta Pellez, uh, family violence prevention will tell you that domestic violence is up among seniors. Well, and that can be from a variety of stresses as well. It could be something that's lifelong. So, you know, we talk about economic security and retirement, and there's more education that needs to be done, and there are more programs. We're rethinking how do we help people who can't pay the bills because for folks who can't pay their bills, they're either racking up credit card debt or they're racking up loans against their house. They could lose their house. They do lose their house. They're homeless. Uh, and so there's more work to be done. And if you're a caregiver um, that's struggling, then, you know, what we encourage you to do is call your local area agency on aging and find out about programs that might be able to help support you. It's not a pretty picture. Right. You can go to eldercare.gov, eldercare.gov, plug in your zip code, and it'll give you the local area agency on aging that's in your neighborhood. Give them a buzz and ask for help. Speaking of help, we're going to talk with elder law specialist Judy Cornish in just a couple of moments, talking about uh, maximizing what strengths and uh, really resources folks with dementia and Alzheimer's have. They don't lose everything. She tries to maximize what they do have and factor that into the care and trying to keep them at home uh, for as long as possible. Speaking of fighting, you've got a list of cancer-fighting fruits. Well, I have a fruit. Oh, it's a fruit. A fruit. I thought it was a list. Uh, it's not a whole list, oh, unfortunately. Okay. But but this comes from the Ohio State. University. Uh, the Ohio State University, which is Ron's alma mater, um, where they've been looking at the link between black raspberries 
and the preventive form of cancer. Ooh. So cancer prevention in black raspberries. And what they did was they gave black raspberries to people who had oral cancer. Mm. And they found a significant reduction in inflammation and the cell growth in the tumor cells. So all of us are hedging bets, you know, about different things. And I know there was an article recently in the New York Times <laughs> that is abs I don't have in front of me. But it was talking about somebody did a study of everybody who did studies to make you live longer. And most of those people died at a younger age. They oh, wow. They did not live to be the 90 or 100s. And the worst one of all was somebody who was on the old Dick Gavitt show to say, I'm going to live to be 102. He took a deep breath and died right there sitting next to Dick Gavitt. The show never aired. Wow. And I'm not saying that Ohio State. If you're listening, Black Raspberries, I'm sure that there is something to black raspberries, and we do need to help prevent cancer. But, oh. but you know, it's it's there. Those are there are things that you know we're gonna um, think. Yes, I'm gonna try that, and I would certainly you know black raspberries are good for you, Dave. It helps prevent cancer, prevent cancer. I'm all for that. Um, and then there are other things that probably not gonna do like the starvation method where you live longer because because you, you don't only, eat because you only have like you fast for days on end. And, you know, life is too short. Whatever length it is, it's too short to starve to death, you know, on purpose. Well, broccoli is another one that uh, I gobble a lot up because it's said to be a dementia fighter. It's a dementia fighter. Yes, and the vitamin B, um, you know, is a wonderful dementia fighter. So here you have it. The Ohio State is recommending black raspberries. Pick and choose your little remedies well. Um, but I don't think black raspberries can hurt. Well, we may have a little over a minute left. So tell us, how in the world do kids help elderly folks live longer. Well, this was another article that didn't really talk about greater longevity, but it did sound like the folks were being happier. Um, and so, you know, one happy of the- Happy is good. Happy is good. One of the things that we're finding is that, you know, intergenerational programs help motivate the different groups. And so where you, they did a study in a nursing home in the United Kingdom in the UK that- Paired babies with folks that are over 90. And I'm not sure you want to put babies all of the time to hold the babies, but the people enjoyed looking at the babies, toddlers learning to walk. They would help reach for them and they would use muscle groups that they normally wouldn't do because they would be afraid to, but they wanted to help the babies. And so they would smile at them. They would get up and go visit them in a different wing in the building. I love it. And it stimulated all this activity. And so anything that we can do to help bring generations together, whether it's really old 90s and babies or it's school-age children and folks that um, have some of the skills that we're losing, you know, there's some knitting techniques that are coming back, uh, woodworking. There, there are, um, you know, cultural things that we've done throughout the years uh, that we, we lose. Uh, and I'm, I'm trying to think of another example besides stitching. You know, penmanship. Penmanship that you could learn. Things that we're losing that older folks like us, although I never had good penmanship, <laughs> um, you know, can teach younger generations. I love it. Judy Cornish up next. Elder Law talking about dementia and maximizing what strengths uh, those with dementia may have. I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zerniel. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. Ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner, 
What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner, Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. Well, we are so pleased you are still with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. Judy Cornish now joins us on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline, and we're delighted to have a chance to talk with her, a graduate of Lewis and Clark Law School out near Portland, Oregon, a specialist in elder law, and somebody who knows a lot about the issues as they deal with people who are struggling with dementia. She's the author of the Dementia Handbook and creator of something called the Dawn Method, and we'll find out about that as well. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. And Judy Cornish, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Ron. It's just it's my pleasure to join you both. Well, uh, looking at the Dementia Handbook and the description, the first thing that jumped out at me was uh, that the book is going to give good news about dementia. So, yes. And so that a lot of people aren't thinking about the good news of dementia. What does that mean? You know, it's, it's something that I really learned from the people that I wor- I've worked with here in, in northern Idaho, in Moscow, uh, people who, my friends and neighbors who had dementia. And when I first began, I really was heartbroken, and I thought these, you know, these dear friends were, were going to have horrible lives, and it was all bad news, and, and their poor families, and, you know, and what are we going to do, and how could I help? And then as, as I spent more and more time with people, I realized that, yes, they are losing some skills, but they're not losing all their skills. And and so as I began to support the skills they were able to use, and I, and I, I speak of cognitive skills, but um, their lives changed. And then as time went on, they taught me so much, and, and it truly has enriched my own life. So I really do think there's tremendous good news, and... and uh, we just haven't really been tapped into it or aware of, of what the experience of dementia really could be like. And you've developed what you call the Dawn Method to help families keep loved ones uh, at home longer. What, what does that mean, the Dawn Method? Well, you know, I very carefully named this business uh, Dementia and Alzheimer's Wellbeing Network, and I did that so that I could come up with an acronym that was hopeful. So Dawn means, you know, it's the dawning of a new way to look at it. Um, and so, so what, so the, you know, and, and actually I'm a lawyer, you, you know, you introduced me as a lawyer, um, and that, that's my training. My training isn't medical or, you know, and I'm not a social worker, um, and I don't have anybody in my own family who has dementia. And so I'm coming into this, this world of dementia care from a very different background and perspective than most people do. Well, it, um, you know, it looks like the, but you also have a, I mean, that different background that you've got, you know, your education and you also have some, you know, background literature, fine arts, the law, and, and you're drawing on your own variety of experiences 
to help pull out the positive in people with dementia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny because it was my experience going to law school that equipped me to see what this pattern of, of skills lost and skills kept really is. How so? Because I, I well, you know, because like I, I didn't go to law school in, until later in life, and I kind of went by accident, but. Um, my earlier education and, and my earlier, all of my, um, you know, the things I enjoy doing, it's, it's art and, and music and literature and writing and, um, you know, gardening, beauty, nature, and, and that's always been my focus. And um, that is what, you know, it's, those are the things that we access with our intuitive thinking skills. And so I was a person who really loved the intuitive. Then... With a scholarship, I ended up going to law school quite suddenly. And and when I sat down in law school, those first months in law school were really painful for me. Because, you know, coming from a, um, a degree in, in literature and literary criticism, all of a sudden, what what my opinion was or my judgment didn't matter. All that mattered was what are, what are the facts of the case and what is the law. And then you applied a lot of facts. And so law school is where you really learn to use rational thought. And those rational thinking skills, I had never before focused on them, and, and I wasn't very good at it. And so I struggled, and I went through quite a bit of distress in that first year of law school. And then all of a sudden, fast forward another decade, and I find myself spending time with this lovely woman, my neighbor here in Moscow, who, who was again struggling, and I could see that she was in distress. And I'm doing everything I can to help and all of a sudden it occurred to me, she's going through the same thing I went through, only she's experiencing the opposite. I went to law school, and I was in distress because I was losing rational thought or, or, or losing intuitive the ability or the opportunity to use intuitive thinking skills. And she was going through an experience of losing her rational thinking skills. And it's distressing. And so that was the first set of skills that I understood. Was, was being affected by the dementia, was here we go through life and we have rational thinking skills and we have intuitive thinking skills. And, you know, I, I can give you lots of books that are great to read to give people background. You know, like Ian McGilchrist's book, The Master and His Emissary. Daniel Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow. You know, these are, those are two books that really help people understand both of our thinking processes, how different they are, and how they shape our lives and, and how valuable both of them are. But then somebody gets dementia and they lose access. They begin losing rational thought. And it's, it's scary and it's frustrating and, and it makes people angry when they don't understand what's going on. All right, we want to talk so, more about this. She's Judy Cornish, and we're delighted to have you with us. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. So I want to be sure I understand what you're saying uh, as you begin to lose that rational thought. Uh, you're suggesting some people know what's happening and others don't? I am, yes. Yeah, that's, this is one of the first things I look for when I'm, when I'm uh, working with somebody or beginning to work with someone, is that I need, we need to understand whether they're aware of what's happening to their own cognition. Because when people are, are aware, they're far more frightened and, and uh, distressed by knowing that they're losing their abilities. But then there's people who aren't, and, and medically this would be anosognosia is what we're talking about. But those say, say that brain, again. I, I didn't catch the word. What do you call it? Anosognosia. 
anosognosia? It's from the the Greek, and it refers to um, being unaware of um, impairment. And, and, and you, you know, we see this sometimes with people who have strokes and they're un- unaware of physical impairments. Well, that, um, yes? No, I was going to say, give us an example, because you're talking about people who are aware or not aware. Um, but you, you also, you were talking about building on people's strengths. Can you give an example of working with someone um, where, you know, you find out if they're aware or unaware, what do you do after that? How do you work with someone to help build on their strengths when they have dementia? Well, the person who is aware that they're losing um, memory and losing rational thought, um, then we can work very directly with them. And so I match them up with someone that, um, a caregiver, somebody who can be a companion. And we'll, what we do is just gradually help in more areas. Um, when somebody's unaware that the difficulties they're experiencing are due to their own, the changes in their own brain, then you have to be more careful because they um, become somewhat paranoid. They, they think that everybody around them is accusing them of forgetting things when they haven't or um, trying to make things difficult for them. And they're quite certain they do not need any help whatsoever. Um, so, so when somebody's unaware of their their um, loss of skills, it's much more important to find ways to help them and give them care around that. So what would be but, an example? What, how can you help someone who probably is saying, I don't need any help, I'm fine, I'm fine? So, you know, one of the issues that, that everyone runs into um, with someone who has dementia is is that they, they come to a point where uh, usually they believe they, they are taking care of themselves very, very well. They're showering. And so, in, for instance, we had one client who, um, she, as she grew older and, and her uh, dementia came on slowly, she began, her hair began thinning. And so at first, you know, she was able to go to the grocery store and uh, look for, for products for thinning hair, and that was what she was doing. And then as the dementia progressed, she became unable to shop on her own and make these decisions on her own. And so having become unable to recall and hold lots of information in her mind at a time, she began to think in terms of, well, I'm, I'm losing my hair. When I brush my hair or comb my hair, I see hair fall out or I see it in the drain. So what should I do? What I'll do is I'll just not brush my hair or shampoo my hair anymore. And, and that's the kind of decision-making you see a person make when, when they no longer have rational thought and they're losing their, their ability to use recall. And so she stops shampooing. Well, if you don't shampoo, then pretty soon you're going to have troubles with your scalp. And she developed a terrible cradle cap on her scalp. Now, here we are. We are in her life. We are now her companions and caregivers. And we've tried suggesting that she needs to shampoo her hair, that it doesn't smell good, that it doesn't look good. Well, that just upset her because it didn't smell badly to her. She was used to the smell of it. And she couldn't see the top of her head. But more importantly, she didn't have rational thought. And so she wasn't able to analyze whether her perception of reality was correct or whether ours was. And so she resisted. And, and that resistance was against her own best interests and her own interests because she was a very uh, fastidious person who took care of her appearance um, earlier in life. So we as her caregivers, we had to be creative. What could we do? And for her, what I did was I asked 
her family. She had family who lived elsewhere. And I asked them to send her a card that said, Dear Mom, we love you so much. We would like to give you a year's worth of visits to the beauty salon because we know you love getting your hair done. And this is our gift to you, is a year's worth of visits to the beauty salon to be pampered. We love you, Mom. Now we had a willing participant. Now she would go with us, and now we could take her to the beauty salon to enjoy that wonderful gift from her family. And and so, so what I'm describing to you is, is an approach where we, as her caregivers, we're not expecting her to use memory. We're not expecting her to use rational thought. We recognize those are skills she does not have. Okay, hold that thought. We're going to come right back to you and pick up with this okay. story. And I want to find if you've been a, a court-appointed guardian or how you got involved in her life to begin with. I'm Ron Aaron. We're talking with Judy Cornish on the Caregiver SOS on-air hotline. Carol Zerniel, our co-host, is here as well. You hear us at 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Ever wonder what you could learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What does she like about doing radio? Well... I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner, Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. Ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner, Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. We are rolling right along here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. We're talking with Judy Cornish on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline. Uh, She is uh, an expert in elder law, and she is with us talking about dementia and talking about ways in which dementia can affect people in their lives and how you can adjust to it. We've been talking about a woman she'd been working with uh, and I was curious how you got involved uh, in her life as a, uh, a caregiver. Was this a court-appointed guardianship? No, with this 
uh, client, I wasn't. We were hired by the family. Um, I do have some clients where I am the court-appointed guardian, and then I have some other clients for whom there are other court-appointed guardians. Now, in this case, you've, you get her to the beauty shop. Uh, she becomes compliant uh, and begins to bathe regularly as well? No, she was very happy to begin um, accepting the gift from her family and enjoying it. And then, but yes, people, we, with dementia, this is just an example of sure. the troubles people have. And, and so that's why with, you know, and I, and I know that um, there's lots of books out there that say, you know, here are, here are ideas on how to deal with problems you meet um, with showering or in the bathroom or at the dinner table or, um, you know, in all these different ways. But um, what, what I've learned in, in spending so much time with so many different people who were experiencing dementia is that what we need to do is step back from the behavior and not look at the behavior as if that's the problem. Because the way we behave is shaped by the way we feel. And, and the emotions that we go through when we are experiencing the loss of cognitive skills cause us to feel and react in some very specific ways. And when we become aware of that, that's when we can truly live more comfortably and with less stress and help our, our loved ones experience lives of happiness and well-being as well. Well, what it's I like getting, about your approach is that, you know, you really are, you know, cha we're changing our behavior. There's only so much we can do to control the behavior of others. But if we change our approach as the caregiver, we change our behavior, then we're going to get a different reaction from the person that we're caring for. Yeah, but you know, Carol, I think that less is changing our own behavior and more of becoming more aware. So what my clients have taught me, all these lovely people who are experiencing dementia, they've taught me to really recognize that I've got rational thought and intuitive thought. And from them, I've learned how to really enjoy living in a world that, where, where I'm using intuitive thought. And they've taught me the difference between my remembering self and my experiential self. And I, I know we don't have time to go into to all of these areas, but... The, the, when I, as a caregiver, if I'm spending time with a person who's experiencing dementia, and I begin to understand when I'm using rational thought and when I'm using intuitive thought, then I can take care of all the rational thought tasks for them. And I can stop expecting them to use rational thought. And then the two of us can enjoy living in the world using intuitive thought together. And if I understand that they continue to be an experiential being, fully experiencing the present, it's just the remembering self they're losing, right. not the experience of the present, then I can shape the present. So and then it becomes much more comfortable for both of us. How long do you, how long does it take to work with a family and kind of transition into this new type of awareness and thinking? When I have a client who is spending more time with dawn-trained caregivers than with other people, people who don't understand what we're doing, that client picks it up really quickly. 
when I work with families, I have a training program for families that I started out only teaching one class every three weeks. And so it would take us 24 weeks to go through the training program. And by the end of the 24 weeks, I found the family had thoroughly picked up the ideas from me and then taken them home and spent three weeks using them and then come back for the next class and then taken those ideas and gone back. But, but you know that a lot of people don't have 24 weeks. Yeah, the 24. So now I teach in eight weeks. And um, we've, I'm going to be doing it for the first time online starting on April 20th where we're, I'm going to be able to give, send to the family a recorded video and then they keep the video and then on the following week we get together and talk about it um, online. So, so, it's this, been, so it's eight weeks in a row with no time in between. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so this is... Yeah, we're planning starting April 20th and what we... Um, I'm working with a transformative life coach, Brianne Griebel, in Los Angeles. And we're going to do it together. Um, she's got really good techniques for people for, for knowing how to respond in a better way when you're in a stressful situation and knowing how to... Um, deal with anxiety on a personal level. And then my skills are, how do you recognize the strengths and the skills that people with dementia still have? How do you support those? And then, and how do you, and then I give these tools that I found work so well for um, you know, helping people feel more secure, even though they are becoming increasingly confused. And, and helping people succeed in conversations, even though they don't have memory and they can't recall what was said a few moments ago. So how does that work? Oh, it's, you know, if, if you're thinking about trying to take part in a conversation and you don't have any memory, and you think of how we normally speak, um, we, there's so much information that's assumed. And so if I'm with one of my clients in a group, then I am carefully repeating the facts. So I'm naming people as I speak to them. So because I know my client can't recall each person's name as around the table. And and if we're talking about an event that happened last week, I'll 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 comment and describe the event for the sake of my client so that they have that information and can respond immediately. And then if you're alone, if you are are if it's just you and your loved one with, who has dementia and you go out for coffee or you're, you know, you're um, driving in the car, it's just important to remember that they are living in the present. And so if you don't ask them to remember and you don't ask them to think about the future, if you focus on the present, then the two of you are in the present together, enjoying everything in the present. And, and it's, it's in the present that we actually receive all of our sensory information. And from our sensory information and from um, picking up feelings, and this is all part of the intuitive thinking skills, um, that's where beauty is. And beauty is so important for dementia. Now, she's Judy Cornish. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernil. And we're talking about ways to strengthen and pull in 
those remaining positives that somebody with dementia may have uh, without uh, uh, losing them in the process. Well, Judy, do you ever, when you're having a conversation, you talked about being in the present, do you ever go into a make-believe world if somebody is really off someplace else that's not really reality? Is that okay, or do you use that technique? Boy, Carol, that is a huge topic, and I usually speak for an hour on that topic alone. Oh, dear. <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to think of how to respond. Um, when somebody doesn't have memory, if somebody cannot recall what has just occurred or what occurred at any point in the past, then their, their assumptions of what is occurring in the present will be skewed. And, and if somebody doesn't have rational thought, if they can't see cause and effect, if they can't perceive sequence, or they're not able to prioritize ideas or, or actions, once again, the way they interpret what's going on around them will be altered. So and does so, it matter? Why would it matter? Well, what matters is that however, based upon the skills they do have, they will have a perception of what's happening in the present. If it's unpleasant, we can, we can add information, we can give them more information to help them become more comfortable. If it's pleasant, we can shape it and make it even better by bringing in beauty or, or, or telling stories. So, so Carol, one technique, one thing I do, which really helps, is when I'm with somebody who is no longer able to recall all of the happy times in their lives, and, and you know, the really sad thing is you can't even recall who loves you or who you love. And so when I come into the presence, I did this this morning with one of my clients. This morning I dropped in to see her, and, and I sit down beside her, and, and I don't just reach out and grab her hand and say, you know, Hi, Mary, I'm, and, and, and grab her hand like she knows who I am. I'll sit down and say, Hi, Mary, how are you? You look so nice today. I am your dear friend, Judy. You and me, we have had so much fun together. We really love each other. I love you and you love me. Boy, we've had fun. We used to go for drives and you love hot chocolate. And so we would go and I start to tell her all of the happiest things we've done. And I know her and I've been with her and I've listened to her stories. And whenever she told me a story, I would encourage her to tell me that story until I had memorized all of her favorite stories. I can sit with her now for, for I could probably sit with her for three or four hours without pausing and tell her about her happiest memories from her early childhood, about her happiest memories about when her children were small, when, when she was newly married, when in their later years, uh, the, the different types of things she did that made her so happy earlier in life. So that's my role as her, as her dementia caregiver, is I'm her memory now. I bring it to her. Well, and that's exactly... Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking is you, you know, we talk about, you know, you can be the memory for somebody else. So you don't have to do make-believe if you've known somebody and can recall those stories and help them, you know, think about them. Now, for folks, right. who, for folks who want to know more, and we are just about flat out of time, can they go to DementiaHandbook.com? Well, my website is thedawnmethod.com. 
Okay, the dawnmethod.com. And that's D-A-W-N. Dawn is in early morning. As in sunrise, as in hope, yes. Judy Cornish, thank you. We really appreciate you coming on and enjoyed talking with you. I hope the online group works very well. Yeah, look forward to hearing more about the online group. Oh, yes, thank you both. Okay, you take care. Have a wonderful time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Coming up next, take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman and Carol Zerniel and meet Ron Aaron right here on Caregiver SOS On Air at 9.30 a.m., The Answer. At the end of every one of our Caregiver SOS On Air segments, we jump to Take 10, where Dr. Jamie Heisman joins us, a nationally known psychotherapist, expert on addictions and caregiving as well. Carol Zerniel is here. I'm Ron Aaron. We talk about issues that affect caregiving, care recipients, and this whole realm that we talk about on Caregiver SOS On Air. And you've got a pretty good one that really spins out of a guest we had. Well, I do, but first I want to thank Jamie for doing our Caregiver Teleconnection. Um, Go to Caregiver SOS and look for Jamie Heisman, Caregiver Teleconnection. He did a great job, and if you're a caregiver out there, you know, I learned 10 new things. What was the topic? to you. Oh, it was it was a it was a round robin it, of caregiving issues, right? On mindfulness, it, it, was, it was actually caregiver burnout. We did include mindfulness as well, mindfulness techniques. Thank you so much, Carol. You know how it's a pleasure to do that for tele, teleconnection. I so love that the program. All right, so if you like Take Ten, you like Jamie, go check out the caregiver teleconnection. But we're going to talk about relief and grief. And so this came to us. We were talking with a guest who expressed that caregivers, you know, they were feeling guilty because at the end of their caregiving journey, when their loved one passed away, they felt grief, but they also felt relieved. Why would that, why would they be feeling those two emotions, Jamie? Well, I can tell you with caregivers, this is not as difficult to explain as it would be with other people. We generally think of grief as a reaction to death. So we're measuring, you know, in our minds how much grief we have when somebody passes. And we'll feel guilty, of course, if we don't feel that type of grief that you think we feel. But there's another grief that comes with caregiving. It comes from a loss while you're, the perceived loss, while you're taking care of somebody who's still living. That's the difference in caregiving. You know, the grief that's experienced when caring for somebody, you're actually in so many ways, going through the pre-grief process of the caregiver, taking care of a loved one with a chronic or terminal illness. So we don't have that big drop-off in terms of sudden death and and grief, and we can't measure ourselves in any way by the grief we're feeling because we're actually grieving kind of along the way that we're taking care of a loved one. So it's happening as we speak in vivo. Well, so talk a little bit about the the relief. I mean, is that normal to feel relief when someone dies? You know, it is when you're a caregiver in many ways. I certainly wouldn't see this as any sort of pathology because if you are grieving the process and you have experienced the suffering of a loved one, in fact, you've been a part of that suffering in some very unique, special way, um, I don't think it's too much to think that there is also a sense of of relief. Uh, we have, again, I'm sure many, if you're really a healthy caregiver, which, um, or if you will, a happy caregiver, which we did in the previous show, you know, you're able to communicate, you get close to your loved one, have memorable moments, and be able to, 
really feel the, the power of what caregiving is. And, and so, you know, when a person passes, they pass, and, in, and it's natural to grieve their, their loved one's death, but they don't realize they have grieved already so much. Yeah, but you've also lost that, I hesitate to use the word, but it's burden. You no longer have that heavy day-to-day, 24-7 responsibility. They're gone. That's true, Ron, but, you know, there's also a, a negative thing that goes on with caregivers as well in terms of that. I think that's, you know, you call it a burden in so many ways, and, and in so many ways it, it can be that. But there's also something that comes from a caregiver that has complicated grief. That's grief that goes on longer than a normal amount of time. The, the few months normally that we do grief in the process. Complicated grief with a caregiver is when we really want to look at that, get into a, a, a psychiatrist's office or a psychologist or social worker, have a psychosocial assessment and be able to meet it. Grief should not be going on some pathological way after a three month period. Right. So the person that's like reliving the death of someone or it seems like it just happened and it was, you know, a year ago, that's, that would not be considered normal. Right. That would be a complicated grief. It really brings along a lot of uh, depression, brings along anxiety. Um, it is treatable, uh, but we tend to also, upon grief processes, tend to not connect with others. In fact, you know, we tend to isolate and believe really nobody can feel what we're kind of feeling. And this is not, again, a good thing. This is why wonderful support groups are out there and, and family members are out there. And we should really need to see that isolation should not be a part of the grieving process. Well, the idea of relief and grief, um, to me, it, it kind of brings to mind that caregiving, you know, you'll have positive thoughts and negative thoughts. And that if you're having negative thoughts, you know, like you're angry or you wish your loved one would go away or you wish, you know, something would happen uh, to change your situation, that's not unusual. And caregivers should not be embarrassed or startled alarmed that they're having both positive and negative thoughts combined. It's not all love and peaches and cream. No, as a matter of fact, this is really uh, great, again, an advertisement to make sure you're in therapy or with some, a group that can, can tell you how you are really feeling, if you will, or what they perceive in an observational way of how you're feeling. Um, again, just remember that caregivers always have this anticipatory sort of grief and they really should let themselves off the hook and feel okay about themselves and not feel guilty because, you know, through that chronic illness process, they're already detaching and they're, they're really grieving the, the former self, if you will. More on grief so, and relief uh, on Caregiver SOS on Air's Take 10. He's Dr. Jamie Heisman. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zernial is with us. And if you've just joined us, you're listening to us on Caregiver SOS on Air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer or maybe on one of our podcasts. Well, and, and Jamie, you mentioned support groups, and I know you talk about it a lot, but I think in this instance, the if, if a caregiver can listen to other caregivers, if they find out they're not the only one out there, you know, that's where support groups really play an important role um, in sort of validating what the caregiver's thinking and feeling, and you don't get that unless you interact with other caregivers. You may think you're the only one who's got you know, angelic and diabolical thoughts. So true, so true. And you also have this feeling, and it's really, again, natural, that you can get angry that other lives are going on as usual, and yours isn't, if you will. So 
it's so important to, to watch the path or at least listen to the experiential path of those in support groups and how they've dealt with crying, crying, the headaches, the, the, non, the sleepless nights. That's why it's so critical for us to have a social interaction during this time. As a matter of fact, Ron and, and I you know, both share the same space, and we go through what's called city shiva, where you know for a certain amount of days people come over and they bring fruit, and they bring food, and they talk, and they you know it's like a wake. I'm sure every culture has it. So it's, it's so important there to not isolate and to share that grief. And it's not a downer. It's reliving the uh, positive upside of that individual's life. It is eating good food and, and talking about them in a very powerful way. Of course, we, we eat good food for any holiday, don't we? Give me a holiday, give me a bagel, lox, and cream cheese. Yeah, you got it. Well, but, you know, what, what you're saying, though, is acknowledging um, grief, you know, and, and allowing people to experience it. Sometimes in American culture, we think people, you know, you talked about complicated grief that goes on too long, but sometimes our expectation is, hey, it's been a week, you should be over it. Yeah, and that's why we really have a psychological theory. We don't have enough time to get into Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's, you know, five stages of death and dying. But but it's really an accepted way of looking at death. And, and it's about shock and anger and bargaining and depression. And finally, acceptance. And we need to know that this is a process, not an event. Right. And that'll come, you know, like uh, having experienced, you know, the death of my mother in the past year, you know, it comes and goes in waves. Um, you're okay yeah. today, and, and tomorrow it may hit you again like a ton of bricks, but that's just normal. And to the person who says, hey, you know what, it's been long enough, get over it. What's the response? The response is that this is a process. Period. End of story. And if they think it's an event, they really can't empathize with you. I would really, if I was a caregiver going through grief, try to avoid people that really have that sort of feeling and perception. Uh, because we have to do it in our own time, and, and acceptance doesn't happen overnight. Um, and, and then, you know, it, it's very much important, again, for us to share this uh, with others and see how they have accepted it. All right, Carol gets the last word. Well, no, I love this. You got it. I love that you're suggesting, which is good for any situation in caregiving, is surrounding yourself with people who support you and who bring you positive energy and make you feel good about yourself. If you're a caregiver, those are exactly the kind of people you want to have around It's one of my uh, favorite Dr. Jamie terms, family of choice. There you go. Take 10 on 9.30 a.m. The Answer on Caregiver SOS On Air. Delighted to have you with us. I'm Ron Aaron. He's Dr. Jamie Heisman. And Carol Zerniel, our co-host, is with us as well. You can hear us on podcast or you can hear us on the radio. We'll talk with you soon on Caregiver SOS On Air. wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio. Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. 
nurse practitioner Cora Juke. I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there.